When the Swedish ship Mars sailed into her first battle, she must have looked invincible. She was bristling with cannons and men, standing at a crossroads between hand-to-hand fighting and war waged through gunpowder and shot. Though she would not survive the battle, she left a lasting mark, not only on the men who saw her go down, but also on history. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the matchless Mars Falls in battle? Here we are. Enjoy! There was no line of battle, no formation, as the two enemy fleets met with one another in between the islands of Gotland and Oland in the Baltic Sea. The ships of both sides had been scattered, and the two fleets began to fight in clusters of ships. On one side were the ships of the Danish fleet, traveling with their allied ships from the free city of Lübeck. On the other side were the ships of Sweden. As the two fleets began to clash, the flagships of each side neared one another. As the largest ships on each side, each with an admiral on board, both sides had a lot to lose. The war between Sweden, Denmark, and Lübeck seemed as though it was inevitable. Since the Kalmar Union had dissolved, There had been many wars and mounting tensions, but things were brought to a head by the Livonian War with Denmark and Sweden allying themselves on opposite sides. Sweden allied with Russia, while Denmark allied with Poland and Lithuania. Things came to a head between Denmark and Sweden in 1563 as they spun off into their own conflict, which would later be known as the Nordic Seven Years' War. There were many reasons for the two nations to fight. Sweden had been taking an aggressive and militarist approach under King Eric XIV, attempting to wrestle control of the Baltic from Denmark. King Frederick II of Denmark, meanwhile, hoped to resurrect the Kalmar Union by once again placing Sweden under Danish control. Lübeck, home of a large amount of trade, had every reason to side with Denmark over Sweden, concerned over what Swedish control over the Baltic would mean for their trade routes. For a war that was so firmly based over the control of the right to charge tolls on Baltic shipping, it made sense that part of the war should take place on the sea. The Nordic Seven Years' War was a war of naval heroes. Both Admiral Herlof Troll of Denmark and Admiral Jakob Bage of Sweden were men who had led their ships to victory and glory. Their two flagships were not equal, however. The Swedish flagship, the Mars, at 1,800 tons, was the largest ship on the Baltic 
and it towered over all of the other ships on the battle on both sides, drawing the eye and the attention of the Danish fleet. Herlof Troll, on his flagship the Fortuna, swung into position and gave his orders. His fleet was to focus on the Mars. With her armament of over a hundred guns and her company of seven hundred men. Only with her gone could they count on a more equal fight. This was going to be the Mars' first battle. No one knew exactly what she was capable of, but considering her size and armament, it was clear that she was a threat. Though the Mars was a giant and modern ship, fully loaded with all of the guns that she could possibly carry, she was still built along the lines of the other ships, designed to help the people on her board the enemy ships using grappling hooks. The Mars also had nets up on her decks to prevent the enemy from doing the same to her, or at least make it very difficult for them. Her muzzle-loading cannons fired at the approaching ships, while the people in her masts prepared to throw grenades and spears down on the ships from Denmark and Lubeck when they attempted to board. Nearby, two more ships of the Swedish fleet also prepared to join in their fight to defend the flagship. At first, it seemed as though Sweden was winning. During the first night of battle, one of the Lubeck ships, the Langebark, was sank, and the Danish flagship, the Fortuna, was hit by 167 projectiles and was badly damaged. With a flagship damaged and another ship sank, the Danish and Lubeck ships were driven off for the first day, but returned again the next day to resume the battle. Once again, they gathered their forces to take on the Mars. The Mars was once again cornered away from the rest of the fleet, this time with three other ships by her side. Slowly, the ships under the command of Danish Admiral Trolle forced themselves to either side of her, attacking her from each side. Though the Mars had a good deal of guns, they were all slow-reloading muzzle-loaders of the time, incapable of keeping off the men attempting to board her. There was fierce hand-to-hand -hand fighting now, with the men on the Mars stationed underneath the anti-boarding netting trying to fend off the attackers. At one point, Admiral Bage was injured by a javelin thrown from one of the enemy ships. Incensed, he returned fire with an arquebus, hitting some of the enemy sailors, but nothing seemed to stop their relentless attack. Eventually, the Mars found herself with the enemy troops on her deck, which was now burning. Reluctantly, the men of the Mars surrendered, many of them badly wounded, and with overwhelming force of arms pointed against them from multiple ships that had isolated them from the rest of the fleet. Nobles such as Admiral Bage were immediately taken as hostages and removed to the Danish and Lubeckian ships to be transported back to Denmark. The common sailors remained on the Mars, however, as did approximately 400 of the men from the Danish and Lubeckian side. No one seemed to notice that the fire that was raging across the decks was creeping closer and closer to the huge supply of gunpowder that the Swedish ship was carrying in order to employ all of the guns that she carried. 
The explosion that rocked the Mars was one that would be recorded by both sides as a thing of immense power. The explosion was so violent that her mass shot into the air while her bow and stern were ripped apart. Still burning, she sank into the water, steam hissing from her, and the water boiling around her. With her, she took the lives of almost a thousand men, many of them either killed in the explosion or trapped by the netting on the ship that had been intended to keep off boarding efforts. Only around 100 of the men of the Mars crew survived the wreck, only to be immediately taken prisoner. Of that number, only 30 would ever return home to Sweden. Among them would be Admiral Bage, though he would not return to Sweden for the next seven years. With the violent death of their flagship, a ship that had been freshly built and boasted of a sign of Swedish naval power, as well as their admiral now a prisoner, the Swedish fleet retreated to Elfsnaben. There were many repairs that needed to be done, and a new admiral needed to be appointed. It would be a month before the fleet would be seen again. This allowed the Danish side to boast of their victory. And there was no greater symbol than the Mars with which had been such a symbol of Swedish pride. Immediately, broadsides were printed to boast of the sinking of a ship that was called larger than a church and had hundreds of cannons bristling from her sides. With each thing printed, it seemed as though a tale of the Mars would grow until it was impossible to remember the true appearance of the ship that had so brief a life. The impact of the Mars on how battles were fought would be lasting. In the sinking of the large bark with cannon fire, as well as the damage done to the Fortuna, it had proven that fighting at such a distance was the future of naval warfare. Slowly fading were the days where sea battles had been fought as though they were simply land battles fought on decks instead of fields. The memory of the Mars and her battle would live long past the Nordic Seven Years' War. Sweden would eventually come to the peace table and negotiate after King Eric XIV grew mentally unstable from the heavy pressures of war and became unsuited for leadership. His brother, who took control in his stead, saw Russia as a larger threat than Denmark, and so Sweden and Denmark reached an accord where everything was restored to almost exactly as it had been before the war. With the war over, and larger and bigger European wars on the horizon, it would have been easy to let the Mars slip from everyone's minds, except that the size and power that had been attributed to her by both sides continued to stir the imagination. On several occasions, People attempted to calculate exactly what her size would have been, but it seemed as though it was impossible to determine due to the varied and conflicting accounts. Each seemed more exaggerated than the last. The only solution to help to determine the Mars as she truly had been would be to find it. After a 20-year search, a group of people would do exactly that in 2011, and what they would find was a 450-year-old time capsule. The Mars lays under 250 feet of cold and clear Baltic water. 
Thanks to the lack of strong currents, the low salt levels, the low oxygen levels at that depth, and the freezing temperatures of the Baltic, the Mars is better preserved than could have possibly been imagined. Slowly, under a team of volunteer archaeologists and scientists, the Mars, as she truly was, as well as the men who died with her, have come back to life. Preserved in her wreckage, and the bones of the people who died with her, is the violence and chaos of the first and final battle of the Mars. Though the hull of the ship was badly damaged by the explosion, there are still some signs to be had about how truly large she was, and even if she was not as big or as well-armed as Denmark might have wanted people to think, she was still one of the largest, if not the largest, ship to have ever been built in her time. She is also the missing link between ships built for guns and ships built to carry men to fight. She stands at a crossroads of history for all to see through careful archaeology mixed with modern 3D modeling. For more information about the archaeology and history of early modern naval warfare, please see On War On Board, edited by Johann Ronby, or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.